You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 9, Episode 19, Ship Terms and Rank Structure, February 13th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Trekophiles, spelled with an F. And of course, when I say that, I do mean all of you Star Trek history buffs, all you just journal Star Trek fans in general. And hey, I think the tech heads and the canonistas, I say that lovingly, are going to love this week's, um, this week's document of the week. It's it's uh, right up your alley, but it's also a part of uh, Star Trek's development, especially at a pivotal time when things are reset and new new aspects are explored. We're talking early next generation formative days. I've got a special guest with us this week. We've got our document of the week, as always, right there at facebook.com slash the Trek files. Hey, listen, here's an audio sample. You want to check it out, but uh, I'll be right back with this week's guest. Captain's office. Its door opens to the bridge, an area which can be used for private discussions. It contains a desk and seating for a few people. There is also a bunk bed on which the captain can sack out. Hey, Trekophiles, welcome back. And yes, I, I think we did see, eventually, Captain Picard sack out on his bed. I want to say he was having some Anadel uh, <laughs> concoctions to get him to, to settle down. Uh, some of those late nights as the series went along, maybe not so much in the beginning. Hey, listen, uh, we were talking just you know recently about some of the uh, militaristic aspects of um, of Star Trek then and now, and the way they reviewed and and how they would shape up. And uh, I just I want to talk about it a little more. So I've invited back our good friend of the show and longtime. Uh, Star Trek assistant director during the the glory years of the Berman era, and now teaching at the New York Film Academy in Burbank. Mike Demerit, welcome back. I saw this memo and I thought of you. Oh, you thought of me? Because <laughs> among would, those who would, about who would command structure. <laughs> well, command structure, and well, it's also fun to see we you know you when you read these these uh, formative you know R and D kind of development memos, you say, well, yes, of course. Oh, here's where they first thought of this, and then you look at all the roads not taken, and went, well, that would have been interesting, or that would you know even when it comes to just terminology and where they were exploring with their mind, and this one comes from the the great Bob Justman, right? Who is so undercredited in many circles. With not only you know adding to without only keeping the keeping the the trains running of Star Trek, which was you know a Herculean task, but uh, but coming up with he gets undercredited for how much he contributed of of the design of the content of the formats and of shows week to week, especially formative thought, constantly formative thought. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. This this document, you know, it starts off with stuff that we sort of already know. Right. It describes yep. the bridge, the ready room, the transport room, engineering, hangar deck and sick bay. Um, I, I did find that the summary of sick. It's like as they were describing, like, I'm going to describe. And then they got down to sick and they said, it's a hospital. And they just sort of just, <laughs> no more description about yeah. what it's going to be or how the beds work or what the layout is. 
uh, it just, each, each one seems to get simpler. Um, because I think there's a core understanding that this is the Star Trek world. Uh, so, so for me, I, I find, you know, the bridge is, is giving a fundamental, this is 87, right? So we're, we're in the yeah. well, Right, and, and to be precise, this is still, this is pre-pilot, but they're coming, they started in October, as I think last time you were with us, we talked about yeah. this. They've had, they've had an intense October, November, December, they put out two or three draft Bibles, they're honing and, you know, but originally they start off talking about kind of the big picture, but they're really talking about characters and relationships and all that. And they, they just kind of assume they're coasting on Star Trek. But I think at this point they're saying, okay, we really, really, really need to talk about what has changed since the original series, if, you know, in 80 years or 87 years, whatever it was, since Star Trek IV's time is what they were using today. So they're really saying it's time we really clarify what we do know and what's going to be new or how it's changed. Yeah, I, I and I think that's, that's, the, that's the impetus for this. I'd love to know the correlation with the designer's point of reference at this at this time. Is this pre-designed? Um, is this the, the foundation on which the first blueprints are drawn? Or are there already blueprints out as to what the bridge is and they're just referring to it? Right. I think I think Andy Probert is already doing conceptual sketches since December, since January. And that I and I think we even talked about this last time, the big think tank. It's not a bridge with people sitting at consoles. It's just kind of a big information pit because the ship is really automated because he really did. Gene wanted to get away from everybody. He says hunching over consoles. Right. <laughs> Which we got back to anyway. That's the reality kind of set in. It still had to be televised drama. But you see that impetus right to the to the big more relaxed issue the pit right the, yeah. the off the the three of them you know with the seats to either side but, but the core, the core stays the same there's a captain central chair there's your your mm -hmm. uh your your con is still in front of that and uh what's a little different as we mm -hmm. got people also next left and right to the center chair sort of different right that's new uh but it, it's there everything is there um that was there before uh, so I, I think that this is foundationally understanding that this is Star Trek. What really, really grabbed my attention was page two. Uh, with, with all of <laughs> yes. these like militaristic terms uh, saying like, well, this is how, you know, we could refer to people this way. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we could call the captain, the old man, we could call him the boss. We could, we, you know, <laughs> uh, we could, we could refer to the, the first, number one as the XO. Does it sound familiar? You know, the, the thing I find exactly interesting yeah. about this is that we know we know what's gonna happen. We have the hindsight of the lens looking backwards. We know that at a certain point in time, this young writer who comes on in about a year and a half is going to create Battlestar Galactica and is going to take this kind of thinking and saying, I want to do it this way. Mm -hmm. Right? So did he see this? Is it possible he was going over these foundational memos when he started writing? I mean, we don't... No, of course, we're talking about the great Ron Moore, Ronald D. Right? Moore. Right, and Galactica, and ha after a long run on Star Trek, including DS9, right? The darker turn on DS9. But, and nowhere, although DS9 was famously right about the Dominion War as we got into it, still... I mean, I think it's uh, we still didn't go militaristic. Now, what's interesting is I think when they wanted to bring in another character of a captain, right. like a Maxwell or uh, or Jellico or whatever, when they wanted to have to show a contrast with Picard or even a contrast historically with Kirk, 
we might have dipped into somebody who would use more traditional like CMO. You know, some of these I'm just trying to imagine them in dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't see this yeah. in the Star Trek realm. This is not the language of the Star Trek realm. Right. Now they started off they did start off saying ops when they wanted to make sure that that was not helm and navigation that we were breaking away from Sulu and, and Chekhov right. and it was differently organized and that the ops person was going to kind of be engineering communications you know and tactical all at once and they would call the front chairs ops and con especially if it was just an you know an ND an extra right. so ops is like the only one in this but I'm just trying to imagine calling the chief engineer Chang yeah no, no one would say that, that doesn't yeah they don't know right right it's that one doesn't work but ops you know you, the, the interesting thing about ops is on the stage on the studio system itself uh you have an ops department and that's mm -hmm. what you call them so you know you call if you have something that needs to be done like the air conditioning needs to be turned up or uh, we're having a problem getting the big door shut or uh we need a couple extra security guys the, you'll just hear it call ops uh call stage ops so that sort of was in the lexicon of the people on the lot and they had to have heard it i have seen this happen with other things i i, I cannot remember exactly when it began but sometime around 2000 and something on some tv show somebody said copy that and i knew immediately that that's what you say when you hear on a radio you, you understood what was said you say copy that but people don't talk mm -hmm. like that but as time has moved forward, you now see it commonly written into dialogue. Uh, and I think that's because it was something they were experiencing, unaware that this isn't the way regular people speak. So hearing ops on the show, I don't necessarily think that was militarily based. I think that was just an understanding that you would have some kind of operations department and that operations department, the, the representative of that, you'd probably call them ops. I, I don't think that they were like, you know, Ooh, what could we take from the military? and used as a term. Right. But I do find it amazing how many of these did come out, come out in Battlestar Galactica, the old man, right? The XO, uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, JDO, right? All, all of that. Right. <laughs> There's a, well, to answer, to answer your question, I doubt if Ron ever saw this memo because what ha tends to happen to these memos, it's like when we fish them out of the file and use them, you know, we think, oh, this is great. I, you know, the, the paper, I think the, the not just the writers and producers, but their assistants also dreaded being sent down to files to dig something <laughs> out or, you know, in a, in a pre-internet now, it's great now, right. but in a pre-internet world, when you're still dealing with ink and paper. And no searchable document, no PDF. When I was first doing my, when I was first doing my concordances and the assistants were like, oh my God, you're the one doing this. Thank you so much. Cause like before go down and see if we can find an instance of the, which is also where mistakes creep in. Right. If you're digging through old scripts by hand manually, you're you, you're going to overlook something you're looking for, either a you know a, a line of dialogue or an occasion, a whole context, or just one usage of a word or a term. So I'm doubting seriously if Ron ever saw this piece of paper. Maybe we'll have a chance to ask him sometime. That would be that would be an interesting question because I know by the time Voyager comes around, right, um, and I'm on board on Voyager, one of the first things they handed me was a writer's guide and a technical mm -hmm. guide, uh, which they had obviously printed up and bound themselves. I still have them. Still have mm -hmm. them. Um, and they were, they were very useful in uh, you know, getting everyone to focus in on what we are and what we aren't. And what does warp drive mean? And how fast can we go? 
and all these all these little technical terms and all these things we do and don't do all put into these handy little guides for the new writer or for the new person uh, on board to understand. Yes, yes, it did start with TNG. I'm just, uh, I think you were talking about, you know, I think it came full, I don't think Ron saw this memo, but I think it comes out of, he had a military background. And again, original series, and this is next gen, but original series, you know, both genes, (laughs) Gene Roddenberry, and then about five, six years, you know, Gene Kuhn was a Korean war vet, but all those guys from the greatest generation and Matt Jeffries, um, Bob Jessman, all of them had World War II experience because it was such a small de-democratic war. Everybody served, almost everybody, in some capacity. Uh, or, or if they were on the front line, they were caught up in the military, you know, somewhere. And clearly, the officer structure is in the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, ha- you know who the second in command is. You know what the, uh, if in the event this person goes down, you know who's supposed to take over. There's a clear uh, a delineation of command. There's a ch- clear chain of command. That part they preserved. But I think that, that Roddenberry didn't want to uh, pour the language in there. One, because, you know, that might not bring back the happiest memories for a lot of people who are watching it. And two, he wants to portray a future. We don't need that so much. That we're, mm-hmm. we're, we don't, we're more aligned. We're more consensus builders. Well, you had to have some kind of, like you said, chain of command, and it's not that he didn't want, you know, the hive mind aside, the Borg have the collective. You know, Starfleet's not one big committee. (laughs) But at the same time, it also meshes really well with TV industry, because if we have a captain, we probably have the lead of the show. And if we have ensigns and lieutenants, they're probably further down the billing order as well as the command structure, right? right? Well, and then they got, you know, they got some flack for having certain people um, have officer ranks uh because you know what what that can't be and now here we are not even anywhere near the century that we're supposed to be set in, and we wouldn't even think twice about female command we wouldn't even oh, think right, twice right, about right. it right or or a person of color being the head of a de- of a department why, why why couldn't they be it's just not a conscious thing but at the time of the 60s it's a very mm-hmm. conscious thing they're they're making a statement when they show those things that's what you get when you're trying to push the social envelope. Sorry. Well, we got it now. You, you will see that there are certain mm-hmm. things in the current uh, Star Trek series where they are obviously trying to say something. Like, the future isn't going to look at it this the way you do. The future is going to look at this and see nothing. Uh, and that's, you know, I hope they're right. Because uh, right. it's happened in my lifetime. I've seen it happen. And, and you've got to hope that it continues to improve. I think that's why uh, people are attracted to the Star Trek universe is this yeah, optimism sure. of that, you know, in the end, once you meet an alien, we don't self-divide ourselves uh, with these convenient terminologies, which are completely false. Once you meet an alien, we're all human, which is what we actually are. We're all homo sapiens, every single one of us. So, right. so we already are that. We just don't see ourselves that way. But once you see an outsider, then that should go away. And I think that's one of, the, one of the reasons I think people really love Star Trek is because we reached, that, we reached a point of maturity. And that's what I like about it, right? Well, even to the point where it does such a good job and it's been around, it's got such a track record of, of decades now that we look, at the, we look at the other end of the telescope. We get to a point where people look at the original series and they don't say, wow, there's Michelle Nichols and Uhura, a, a woman and a black woman on the bridge. And here's even 
you know, even Christine Chapel, you know, Majel doing what she could with what they gave her to do, but saying, wow, there's women right there, you know, Gene fighting for his 50-50 crew and having to settle for a 30-60 70 crew, and he lost right? his number and one we, yeah and we look yeah, yes he lost his number yeah. one but we look at you know lesser i mean later eyes look at it and say oh look it's a t it's a nurse and a telephone operator yeah. you know they're looking at it from the other we get to tng even and it's like look we've got women on the bridge we've got troy right there in the command circle and people say oh they're all caregivers yeah and know you know from the other end yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, well, and then we get into the commanded tests and all that for, for Crusher and Troy both. But, anyway, but again, it's that where are you in time yeah. looking at it. And I think Janeway is where anyway. you switch in Star Trek, where it becomes. Right. Yeah, where it becomes the commander. Right. Is a com the, there, she's in charge. She and a chief engineer and a liberated board. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, Mike, I love looking through these memos with you and, and bringing up some of these points. I just am trying to imagine dialogue where we talk about the sea psych. <laughs> <laughs> and the do see seconds do up here as quick as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah, last anyway. long. <laughs> uh, it's nice to not to, to look at something that is uh, not production reporter call seat oriented too, uh, because you usually bring me on for for stuff that are in the AD realm. Uh, but this to me is the heart of creation here. You're 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 founding mm -hmm. paperwork uh, that's going to lead to what it will become. Yes, I'm just imagine all of us in future Star Trek running around as infos, the information retrieval officer. Oh well, Mike, thanks again for for joining us and diving diving through some Trek files with yeah, us. It's great. Anytime, Larry. Hey everybody, the Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now, all of our documents and your chance to comment and and please do, we'd love to hear from you, are available right there at facebook.com/slash/the-trek-files. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47 at, well, that's me, you know, at LarryNimacek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.